0: See you here on on Wednesday night. I don't know how your week's going. I, you know, how, how days are kind of interesting. They they get clogged up with stuff in your mind, and then you come to church, and you just want to be refreshed in the Word, right? Yes. I do too. <laughs> I do too. I studied this all day today, and it's a really interesting section of the Scripture that has a lot to do with construction. I'll do my best to. Uh, apply it to us as believers, but there's a lot of Old Testament uh, symbols in here that they actually speak of Christ or speak of heaven. I'll do my best to help you with that, but uh, very interesting section as we come to the building of the temple, part two, we're going to look at verses, or chapters 26 and 27 tonight uh, in this uh, wonderful Old Testament book. So let's open our Bibles to Exodus 26. Uh, again, Moses is receiving the blueprints or the instructions for the tabernacle. And I've given you some information about the tabernacle. It was the place where God said I want to dwell with you. Remember, I made a big point of that last week and I'm hoping that you really caught that that it's always been God's intention to dwell with his people. And although his people sin and separate themselves from God, it's always been God's intention to reconcile or redeem them back. The temple the tabernacle, as we look at it, has a lot to do with that redemption. It's all part of God's plan of redemption. And so as we look at the temple and understand that it's the dwelling place of God, God wanted to be in the very center of the life of this new nation. Remember, all this is new. He has chosen a people, Abraham. He's promised them land. Land is a big deal in the Bible, by the way. When you, when you study the Old Testament, you find out that that land is very important, and, and God dismisses, we're, we're looking in Leviticus, and we're understanding the semi, some of the same laws that we talk about on, on uh, Sunday night through the book of Leviticus uh, have to do with the, the, the same message that came from Moses from Mount Sinai, Leviticus, Exodus, this is all the same it's some of the same things and so leviticus and the laws that the people were to follow this new nation and god wanting to dwell with them and wanting to be their god and, and that was his promise and it's his promise even now as we as new testament believers have god incarnate jesus christ who had who's come to dwell with us and although he's gone right he's not here on the earth he's gone he dwells where in us. Our bodies now become the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. God actually tabernacles. He lives within us. In the Old Testament, these were pre-picturing what he would do for us in the New Testament. So you have to kind of get your mind back there in the Old Testament realm. That's where we find ourselves even tonight in this section, section. As you recall, back in chapter 25, God said he wanted to dwell. So it's all about dwelling with his people. It's an amazing reality when you really think about it. In light of all the things that you go through and the stuff that I dealt with today, I I was thinking about that, that God wants to dwell with me. He wants to have fellowship, the word communion. He wants to have communion with each and every one of us, not with us collectively, but with us individually. Remember, Jesus said that I'm going to go in John 14, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, for you, not for the church, not for the community of believers, but an individual place for each and every one of you. And he said, his promise was that I'm going to come back and receive you to where I am, you're going to be as well. That's the hope, the blessed hope of the believer. But again, we're back here in the Old Testament, and we see this mobile sanctuary. Really, that's what it is, the tabernacle. It's a tent of meeting. It's the the, the tabernacle was divided into two parts, the holy uh, uh, the holy place and then the holy of holies, where where the priest could only go once a year. But priests were daily and weekly going into the, the other side of the veil. The veil was closed and you couldn't get through. So there's lots of imagery, lots of, I'm hoping I can do a, a good job helping you. I've got some pictures to help uh, with us tonight, uh, I, I believe God will speak through His message. Let's uh, let's pray, Father. Thank you for the Word. Uh, I I just uh, am overwhelmed, Lord, with its uh, symbolism and its truth, and every every item, every thread of the tabernacle has meaning, Lord. And it's there's so much here. Help me, Lord, not to get bogged down, but to move through this text and and teach those things that really are. Important for us as New Testament saints to understand. Help us, Lord, as we open the word tonight. In Jesus I pray, amen. Amen. Now as I said, the the temple, it's a mobile. We we used to do porta church. When this church first started, we were at the YMCA uh, uh, on Sundays. And then on Friday night, we had services over here at a chapel at a Presbyterian church on D Street. And Esther and I were doing a little children's ministry on Friday nights. And then the church would move everything to the Y for Sunday morning. And then we'd move everything to the D Street Chapel, children's ministry stuff, just things that you need, you know, for for ministry for a church. So we were real mobile. And that was like twice a week. And there are churches that do that even today. There's some of my fellow pastors that do Porta Church. I call it Porta Church. But here we have this mobile sanctuary And the reason it's mobile is because the children of Israel are not in the promised land. They're not there yet. And so as they travel through the wilderness, they have this mobile sanctuary. Now, as we go through, you're going to hear, you're going to see lots of loops, lots of loops, lots of of rings, lots of wooden bars that, that hold everything. Remember last week we talked about the ark and the ark had rings on the side of it and poles made out of a cage which carry it. So everything that you see in the temple was made to be mobile. It's, it's, it's moving through the wilderness for the people, God wanting to dwell with his people, but they had to move it. And I think I, as we go through this, you're going you're gonna to see layers and layers of layers of fabric that cover, layers of layers on the, on the, um, the different veils. There's, there's actually three different curtains that one would have to go through to, work, to get to God. Each one of them very significant, but but then there's gold and even the the um, post holders for the structure itself. It was all made out of acacia wood, and it would go down into these silver, solid silver post holders that weighed several hundred pounds each. This is a substantial. This is not your go to hiking in the high sierras tent. This is a very substantial. Uh, uh, and, and also, the thing that you'll note as we go through this, you'll note that, that it's covered with gold and silver and, and stone, precious stones. It's, this is God, God wants the best for his sanctuary. A lot of times we give our old fridge to the church or the missionary. I mean, think about that. We're all guilty of that. We should give our best God demanded it in this remember last week he demanded their best gold silver the best stones he wants the best for his house and we should treat God's house in that kind of reverence and I'm not trying to be legalist, legalistic you know I got my you know 10 dollar shoes on tonight and uh, but and, and I'm not talking about dressing up or anything but God wants our best when we uh, give he wants our best when we serve He's interested in all those things, so you'll you'll notice that as we go uh, through this text. Now, the Bible teaches that that um, Jesus is God in the flesh. Really quick, Philippians two seven. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This is the 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 t- the tabernacle pre pictures Christ in a lot of different ways. I it's going to be hard for me to explain them all, but there's many many. Uh, illustrations and pictures of Jesus in the tabernacle, and they pointed to Jesus. We look back on Jesus' incarnation, right? We look back on it. These people look forward to it. And the temple, the tabernacle, pre-pictured all of it. Again, God wanting to dwell with his people, Jesus coming to dwell with his people. So here's more of the construction of the tabernacle. Let me show you a picture of it real quick, the tent of meeting now, the tabernacle is that structure in the very center. This is, again, just a rendering, a drawing. After you read it, you kind of figure it out, and that's what artists have done, and uh, we don't have any pictures of it. If you've ever seen this book here, I, I went through this book extensively. This is really cool. Um, I, I couldn't even find some of this stuff on... online. You know, sometimes you go on the web and you try to find cool things or video or whatever. This book is really good. It shows the layers of the tabernacle itself from the ground floor. It's got those little plastic uh, pictures, images, where you, you know, you turn the, whoops, you turn the page, and that's another illustration that I have. You turn the page and it shows the illustration. This is very cool. If you want to see it, I'll show it to you uh, after the service tonight. And here's another example uh, as well. But Understanding the temple and its construction is really, really cool. Interior layers, exterior layers of cloth and fabric. That's what we're going to look at. We begin with the inner curtains in verses 1 through 6. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple, scarlet thread. And Notice this. With artistic designs of angels or cherubim, you shall weave in them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. Remember what a cubit is? you remember what a cubit is? Just hold your arm up from your elbow, you know. It's about a foot and a half, a cubit. Now if you're real short and small, you might be a foot. If you're tall like me, it's almost two feet. So it, a cubit is generally about a foot and a half. So you can kind of figure the size uh, based on that. But these curtains, they're very long, 28 eight cubits. The width of the cubits, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurement. So you have this really long, long, long uh, curtains that are really narrow. Why? Because you had to roll them up and carry them to the next location. Everything's mobile, remember. That's the design here. Uh, Every one of the curtains shall have its same measurement. So impressive colors, blue and purple and scarlet. Each one of those colors has significance. Heaven is blue the blood of jesus is red you can go on and on that's why i struggled with all the things in here but but this design if you look at this design this multi-layered linen fine fine linen see-through fabric and and one see-through color into another into another just the dimension the beauty of what's happening here and then this on the outside embroidered here's the best picture i could see this is like looking in the, from the Holy of Holies through the mercy seat and the cherubim. And in the background there, you see the, these these uh, tall curtains. This would be the veil, but you still see the cherubim on there. There's a lot of different ways you could illustrate that. This is just one way to illustrate that. But, but this design really does make us think about heaven. For those of you that read the scriptures a lot, you read Revelation. It was John the Apostle that was... Uh, on the island of Patmos, where I was about five months ago. I went to Patmos for a very cool. And uh, there on the island of Patmos, he was given a vision. And in that vision, he saw heaven. There's only a couple people that have seen heaven and come back. Don't believe all the stuff you re- hear on YouTube. I-, I don't believe it. I don't believe people go there and come back. Uh, John, or I mean, Paul was taken through the third heaven, John saw, and he wrote the things, only what God would allow him. God was very selective in what he revealed to John. But when John was caught up to heaven in Revelation 5, here's what he sees. Revelation 5, verse 11, he says, I look, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. So the angels on the interior curtains of the tabernacle are important. They speak of heaven because God is always surrounded by heaven and angels. And in the tabernacle, he's surrounded by these images of angels. So that's significant in that way. Now, notice how it's all held together with the loops. Remember, I told you about loops and clasps because it's mobile. Five curtains, verse 3, shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the uh, the selvage of one set. Likewise, you shall do to the outer edge of the other curtain Of the second set, 50 loops, verse 5, you shall make in one curtain. And 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set. That the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. So that's how it's kind of constructed. There are these, these long curtains that are like six feet wide. They have these clasps or, or uh, loops on them, and they would go through the poles so they could be taken off, rolled up, and then they could be put on the poles and added together to make and cover the inside. This is the inside covering uh, and what you would see on the, the inside there. Now the next layer, notice how they're made of goat's hair, and my next point here, the outer curtains. So there's inside and outer curtains, verse 7. These are way larger by the wall the exterior walls. You shall make Curtains of goat's hair, verse 7, to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the width of each four. So they're similar in size, just a little bit longer. And this 11 uh, curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves, six curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. So there's the opening there. And you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain in the second set, and you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasp into the loop. So there were gold on the inside, there were bronze on the outside, the couple of the tent together that it may be one. Verse 12, the remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains the length of the curtain of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. So that the idea, you hear the overlap, overlap, overlap. That's what he's saying. So you got the inner curtains, and now you have the outer curtains to go over. Kind of like, you know, in a modern tent, you have the tent, and then you have a fly that goes over the top, you know, for weatherproof. That's kind of, in a crude way, the only way I can describe this. Verse 14, again, you shall... Also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skin. So then over the very, very top of this, you have this this real hardy material. This tent is in the desert, so it's got to be protected from the sun. And when it does rain in the desert, it rains really hard, so it's got to be protected from the elements, the rain. So you have this. The badger skin is an interesting word. It's hard to parse because uh, the study of it It speaks of like uh, uh, whale skin or the skin of a a water animal of some kind. I mean, waterproof is all you can say, but badger doesn't make as much sense. They had goat's hair, and then you have this waterproof badger skin kind of over the top of it. Uh, The red dye is, is significant, again, for the tabernacle. Um, The different colors, we could go all into that. But obviously, this is just a waterproof layer. Now, think about these multiple, multiple layers and what it would be like to walk inside the tabernacle. There's not one crack, not one bit of light in there. There's no light in there. It's completely dark. Multiple layers of fabric, and then this outer covering goes over the whole thing. That's, That's this skins of these different animals, goats. And so there's no light in there, no light at all. God wants no light in there. Why? Because he's the, and Jesus was the, the, again, we could go, I could spend the whole night right there. That's why it's frustrating how much, you know, how far do we go? But remember what's inside. We, we read it last week. What's inside that gives light? It's the lampstand, right? The candelabra, the, the menorah. It's the seven, lights that lighted, and those, as we'll find at the end of this chapter, they were to be lit perpetually. They never go out. The ministry of the priest was to go in there and put more oil in every day, morning and evening, morning and evening. They'd go in there and make sure that kept going. So there's only that bit of light in there. The rest of it's completely dark and cool. It would have been cool from the sun uh, inside the tent of meeting, inside this tabernacle, this movable tent, the place where God dwelled, the holy of holies and the holy place that was covered by the extensive fabric that we're reading about here. From the outside, though, badger skin, goat's hair, kind of nasty looking. On the inside, the beautiful colors and the cherubim embroidery. See the difference? For you and I, We just had another person that I know and held dear in my heart die this this week. Uh, Papa John Miller went to be with the Lord. A sweet, sweet saint that really was instrumental in the beginning of this fellowship. Uh, His son was the pastor here, but but John Miller Sr. was the one that made stuff happen. At the Y and then over here. He was the one that I looked up to. He was the one that discipled me in, in ministry. Just get it done, you know. Just shut up and do the work. And, and he was that kind of guy. I Loved it. He just, but, but with a big smile on his face. But on this side of eternity, heaven, uh, John Miller Sr., you and I, looking. It, it looks kind of blurry. We don't really see heaven. We see the stars, and it's really glorious. But we don't see the glory of heaven. But when you die, you're going to pass over. You're going to be in heaven and oh, the things you're going to see. The tabernacle, again, it's, it's kind of a picture of heaven. On the outside, gruff, goat's hair, kind of gnarly covering. On the inside, beautiful colors, scarlet thread, blue and purple, and the, the angels uh, embroidered uh, inside. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, "I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It speaks of heaven. Do you realize how glorious heaven's going to be? Unbelievable. You're going to be jaw-dropping for eons. You're just going to walk around like, <gasps> You're going to see color like you've never seen. You're going to hear music like you've never seen. And you're going to be able to sing and clap. You're going to be able to clap on two and four. Believe me, you will. (laughs) The drummer says, amen, brother. (laughs) When we get to heaven. But right now we see dimly. We don't really see it. It's masked. And why? Because God wants us to walk not by sight, but by how? We're to walk by faith. So he, everything's obscure. It's, it's, it has meaning. There's, there's really important meaning in every part of the tabernacle, but it's obscure. It's kind of hidden. It's kind of you have to look for. New Testament believers, we see it. I'm going to point some of it out as we move through. Verse 15, notice the wooden structure. So you, you have all these linen things. Now you have to have structure to hold it up. You can go ahead and go to that picture. The wooden structure, verse 15. And for the tabernacle, you shall make boards of acacia wood. So the temple isn't a tent. There's actually an inner wall with boards. Boards. And then covered in the inside with, with layers of fabric on the outside. And you can see that's kind of a cutaway there. I know you see there's poles and boards. Uh, the should have had my pointer. But if you look inside past the menorah, you can see like slats in there. That's kind of the idea. There were boards made out of acacia wood. They had, there was jointery. We'll see that. They, they use uh, 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 woodwork and joinery to hold them together. They stood upright. And in verse 15, verse 16, 10 cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of the board. So, you know, we're talking like 2 by whatever, 15 or 16. So pretty pretty tall boards there. And then verse 7, Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one another. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle, and you shall make boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver under the boards. So the boards go into these sockets of silver, which... I alluded to earlier, this heavy 250-pound socket of silver on the ground, and then they would put the board in that, and then they would cover the inside, cover the outside, tie it all together. This is a substantial, not-just-go-to-the-weekend kind of tent thing. This is a big, uh, important building here. Uh, It is the tabernacle, movable. And you shall, verse 18, 20 boards for the south side, verse 19, 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board, for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. The far side, the westward, you shall make six boards. And you shall make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. And they shall be coupled together at the bottom. And they shall be, uh, let's see, coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the two corners. So there shall be eight boards for their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each board. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five of the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle, the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from the end to end. So again, look at my little picture there. It's kind of hard to see, but uh, in the front there's, um, the, the, an, another entrance. This would be the entrance right here through these columns, the curtains. And then to hold the structure together, it's cut away, but there's these poles and the rings and loops, the poles that go all the way through. The boards go down into silver sockets that were on the ground. And then the worshiper Not many, uh, the priest could only go in here, but the worshiper would see that. This was the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. The priest would come in, and he would minister and make sure that the candelabra was lit. He would change the showbread out on a weekly basis. And then um, we have the incense. The altar of incense was always burning. Incense, uh, a continual prayer offering to the Lord. And then beyond the veil... Into the holy holies, you have the, the ark and uh, God's presence. So, but, but it's all movable, and there are rings and clasps and boards, and this is all the information on how to set that up. I don't know if you find that interesting. If you're a contractor, maybe you think this is awesome. I, I still think it's important to read the scriptures. There's something uh, for each of us, and I think the, the unique uh, uh, truth that I see as I read this is God has a specific way he wants this built. So we need to live our lives in a way he, in, in obedience. They were to be obedient in the way they built it and the way they lived out the Ten Commandments were to be obedient in the way we read the scriptures and the way we apply our walk before the Lord on a daily basis. So in chapter uh, uh, 38 of Exodus, we get the description of these sockets uh, Exodus 38:27. and from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, 100 sockets for the hundred talents and the talents for each socket. The reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, anybody that builds anything knows that you, you, if you start with a lame foundation, your building's not going to stand. So this is a substantial, weighty, you know, each one of these talents of silver is 250 pounds. I mean, Good thing they had two million people to move this thing through the desert. That's all I'm saying. I mean, this, the young men, they had their, their their job put out for them when they had to move this thing around. One solid structure here. Now, we come to the two different rooms. I've already explained them and shown to you on the, the picture there, but these two rooms in the tabernacle. You had the the holy place, and then the holy of holies. Now, the, the whole temple, go back to that picture at the very beginning, or unless it's in, in succession here, of the, uh, of the temple, one of my first, yeah. Uh, how about the one that shows the outlining tent, the very first picture, the very, 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 there it is. That building there, the tabernacle, it's only 15 feet wide, think about that. It's 40 feet, or 45 feet long, but only f- 15 feet wide, pretty tall, 30, almost 30 feet tall. So it's, it's, it's a real interesting, tall, skinny, long building that, that was right in the middle. That's the tabernacle building there in the middle there of uh, that tented area. And I, I thought about that. I thought, man, how many of those can we put in here? I mean, it's not that big. Think about that. This room is, is about... 60 feet, I think, from that wall to this wall, I believe. So this is 15 by 45. You could put like four of those things in here. So it's not that huge of an area. And again, I'm just trying to give you an idea of what it is. But now we have the curtain and the veil. So inside that, there's two rooms, right, in this building, the tabernacle. And verse 31, we get the curtain and the veil. You shall make a veil woven of purple blue and scarlet thread. This is what's going to separate the two rooms here. A fine woven linen. It shall be woven of an artistic design of the angels, the cherubim. You shall hang it on the four pillars of the acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon the four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you. Between the holy place and the holy of holies, or the most holy place, verse 34, you shall put a mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table. So showbread and lampstand uh, across from each other in the north and south side. So the, the curtains here that are described, this, this curtain that divides the holy place And the holy of holies here is what we're... And the positioning of the furniture. God had, again, a specific uh, layout. And the inner veil here that separates those two rooms. And then in verse 36 and 7, there's another divider. There's a screen that separates the tabernacle from the outer court. So the screen, you would go... You could almost see kind of through the screen into the holy place. But then the veil was solid... Into the Holy of Holies is what's being described there. The, the veil was a partition. It was, it was there to separate. That was the whole purpose there. It separated and divided in between those two areas. The Ark of the Covenant that had those three items in it. And then it had the mercy seat. And it had the cherubim on top, the Ark of the Covenant. We looked at that last week, and the construction of it last week. That was inside the Holy of Holies, and then outside you had the other uh, implements there. Uh, the priests, as I've said, they would go in there daily to to uh, go back to that picture, the cutaway one, if you would. They'd go in there daily to trim the lamps, and other words, put oil in the lamps, and then. Th- weekly to, to uh, change the showbread, but the priests, these would be uh, Aaron's son. Aaron was the high priest. He was the only one. Once a year, he could go into the Holy of Holies, but his sons would go in there on a, on a ba- daily basis to do the other work, and once a, a week, they'd go in there, and they'd eat the showbread, and they switch it out. They'd bake the new bread, take it in there, take it out, and, and uh, switch out the showbread. Aaron, the high priest, could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Again, I've talked about that before. Lots of significance about the Day of Atonement, which is coming up here in September for the Jews. You'll you'll hear Yom Kippur a lot. It might be on your little your calendar uh, in your on your little phone app. You'll see Yom Kippur uh, in there. Now the two again, these two curtains they separate people from going into the Holy of Holies. And finally, the second curtain separates, only the high priest could go in there. So most people never went in there. Only Aaron and his sons would ever go in this tabernacle building. Everyone else may have seen it when they would bring an offering in, in that main courtyard. Uh, They may have seen portions of it being carried, but they never saw the inside of it assembled. Only the priests could go in there again the whole idea was was i wonder what's in there oh my son it's god in his presence he dwells in there it's a beautiful place gold and silver and precious stones and it's it represents the dwelling place of god well but dad i can't see it i want to see it i want to look in there well you know what we look we look through a veil we're to walk by faith and not by sight again the picture in the Old Testament. These people had to trust the Word of God. They had to trust Moses and the book he's written for them and obey those laws. That was their job. They had to obey the laws. And then the priests would do that priestly work. For us as New Testament believers, the the verse I've quoted a couple times, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So Everything we need to know about life and godliness is in the scriptures. But what about this? There's obscure questions. What about this? I get people ask me, you know, what about this? Or how do you feel about that? I don't know. What does it say in the word? Well, it doesn't say. Well, then you have to take the broader principle about morality. You have to take the broader principles in the scripture and apply it. And then God allows you to make your own choice. God allows you to choose. So you're, you're responsible to know the word of God, and then you're responsible to walk by faith. That's why Bible teaching is so important. You can go to other places, and I, I don't believe we have a handle on Bible teaching. I'm new at this, but you need to be in a part of a church that teaches the Bible. That's what's going to keep you walking straight. It's not all about jumping and, and, and spiritual gifts and, and speaking and singing and jumping around. It's, it's walking daily in obedience to God. That's what brings joy. My heart's broken for that pastor over in Chino that committed suicide Sunday. And his fellowship, big fellowship. Left behind three, I think three little girls and a wife. It's tragic. Hopeless. People, they get, ho- why, why would that happen? Because he was hopeless. I don't know why. I, I don't know anything about him. I, my heart's broken for him and his church. We need to know the word of God, and we need to walk by faith. But it's hard, Pastor Lee. It is hard. It is hard. It's very hard. This life is not easy. But you know what? You come to church on Wednesday night, and I hope you slap each other on the back. I hope you give each other a hug. I hope you pray for one another. That's what church is about, to build each other up. I hope that the Word of God builds you up so you walk out of here just, I know a little bit more. I, I love God a little bit more. Even the study in Exodus, that's what I have found to be true. Just knowing a little bit more about the Lord just makes me love Him all that much more. Hope is found in the Scriptures. Just keep your, keep your nose and your eyes in this book. Depression is real. Suicide is real. It happens. Happens to good people. But, but keep your eyes and your nose in the book. And when you feel burden and pain, you need to reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't hold that back. We have men's prayer on Thursday night. You're welcome to come, guys. Women's prayer on Monday. Wednesday night after church, I'm always standing around. Come up to me and I'll, I'll pray with you. We have elders that would love to meet with you and pray with you. So please. Please. Uh, Keep your mind in the book and keep yourself focused. Just as these people were called to be dependent on the word and walk by faith, they couldn't see inside the, the tabernacle. They couldn't see beyond the screen and then into past the veil. Only the priest could go in there. And here's another interesting insight about the tabernacle. God had described every stitch that went in there. See, but I can't see it. I want to see God. I want to hear every little word from God. He doesn't talk to me. and I don't. He did tell him, though. We just read it. I mean, did I bore you reading those first, that whole first part of this chapter? With all the loops and the colors and all that stuff, you go, well, what's all this about? Well, God is telling them everything about every stitch about that. He told them what's in there. So now they had to walk and live by faith. Same way for you and I as Christians. He's given us everything we need in the Bible. And so it's our responsibility now to walk and to live it out. No, it's not easy. Life is hard. Lots of bumps. Lots of valleys. But there's also the high points. There's also the glorious times. And when you give glory to God and when you're trusting the Lord and when you're walking by faith according to the word in in a moral state, in an obedient way, the blessings just flow. It's like Paul in prison in Philippi. I was there. I looked in that cave that he possibly was incarcerated in—just a hole, a damp, dirty hole. No, no TV. No uh, person to give him food. Nobody to give him a blanket if it was cold. Just thrown into a dirty hole, and at night chained to the wall. What did he do? He worshipped the Lord. He sang praises to God. He thanked the Lord while he was in that hole. That's the attitude I want. I want that. I I, I want that. I think we all desire to have that. But again, getting back here to Exodus, the veil separated these two areas. And you know what happened to the veil when Jesus died. You know that. What happened to the veil? It was torn. Why? What does that represent? We now have access directly to God. Before, it was only the priest. People could look through. They knew what was in there, but they could only look through the screen, and then only the priest could go in there and minister, and only the high priest once a year could go all the way in. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn, and that represented access. I don't need a priest. I don't need to pray through anyone. I can go immediately to God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid for my sin now holy. It's awesome. And and the truth here, it's in Matthew 27. I have a scripture and also a picture. Let's put the scripture up. There it is. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and rocks were split. Here's a kind of a cool little picture that I found just to illustrate that. The veil. It was the the blood of Jesus. It was the sacrifice of, of our God on our behalf that gives us access now to God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Everything's been provided for us as believers. The veil in the Old Testament separated the people from God, but the blood of Jesus made access to God. It's a beautiful truth. Paul in Ephesians 2, here's another verse here, says that Jesus has broken down this wall of separation between people between Jew and Gentiles, the reference, but Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down. Here's the reference to this tabernacle we're studying, the middle wall of separation. There was a wall of separation, but it's all been broken down. Why don't we worship on the Sabbath? It's been broken down. In Christ, he is the Sabbath rest. He's our rest. That's why it's not a big deal. There are people that make it a big deal. It's not a big deal. Why don't we have to sacrifice anymore? Because Jesus was the final sacrifice. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus becomes the perfection of all these pictures that we find in the Old Testament of God's work on behalf of man's redemption. So the wall of separation, the veil has has been taken down for us. I'm, I'm really trying to help you understand this. Uh, the, the, this next chapter, we'll go through this quickly, but the altar of sacrifice. Now we get outside the tabernacle, inside that courtyard, the altar, again, if you, and, and people could come in there to offer sacrifice, so you could go in there, you just couldn't go in the tabernacle. Go back to that very first picture so I can show that again. The very, there's, so you could go through that, this opening right in the very forefront there, and as you walked in, the first thing you saw was this. The altar of sacrifice—the very first thing—and and it's kind of an important reminder. The, the worshipper that came in obedience would go through that opening, and the first thing he sees beyond him, he sees God's presence. God is there; He's inside that building. Everybody knew it, but in order to get there, you have to do something. There had to be blood. There had to be sacrifice. There had something had. I have to atone for my sin. I can't go into the holy presence of God. And so this is the significance of the altar, verse 1, chapter 27 there. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide, and the altar shall be square. That's the four square. It's perfectly square. Its height shall be three cubits. You shall make it horns on the four corners. Its horn shall have one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Everything inside the tabernacle is gold. Everything outside It's bronze. Why? Well, weather, right? Weather. Cover everything with bronze. But bronze speaks of judgment in the Bible. You'll see that throughout the scriptures. Verse 3 Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels and its basins with its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all the utensils of bronze. So, again, sacrifices are going to be burning here all the time, you know, animals slain, blood everywhere around this thing. They'd throw the carcass up there, burn part of it, or the entrails they would burn, and then the meat would be butchered right there, right in front of it. So it's a real bloody place. But there's the remnant of the burning is ashes, ashes, continual ashes. So you have to have this, these instruments to handle the ash. God left nothing for thought of man. He's providing everything. Verse 4, you shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. So like a grill, here's here's the grill part of it. Make four bronze rings at its corners. Again, how do you carry the thing? Well, you put rings on it. So everything about the tabernacle is portable. Rings and loops and all those things so they can move and carry it. Verse 5, you shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar. Poles of acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings. The poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it, to lift it up, and you shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown to you on the mountain. So shall you make it. Here's my blueprint. This is how I want it. Do it this way. That's basically what he's saying there. So in this courtyard, there's two different altars. There's the one outside, the bronze one, but then there's also the one that's inside, inside that's covered with, goal, these two different uh, uh, altars. This one on the outside was was for animal sacrifice, to make atonement for one's sin. And so the, the requirement for a worshiper to come close to God was always a blood sacrifice. In order to appease the wrath of God because of your sin, you had to make a blood sacrifice. Otherwise, your sin would remain. And, and, and the obvious question is, why would you want your sin to remain you want to get rid of that you want to get rid of the shame and the guilt and the feeling so you would make sacrifice for your sin and when that was done then you then could have a meal with God you could have communion with God we're going to have communion this Sunday morning by the way we do it once a month but it's that fellowship it speaks of fellowship with God the the, the symbol of the blood of Jesus the symbol of the broken flesh that symbolic meal of communion only because of the blood of Jesus. In this case only because of the blood of the animal they would bring to sacrifice there. Again, speaking again to the fact for us as New Testament leaders that the only way to God is through Christ in his blood. that's the only way. There's no other way. The, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well Pastor Lee, that's a little you know exclusive. I oh well, yes It's real exclusive. It's very exclusive. There's only one way. The Bible makes that very clear. There was one way for the Old Testament. Man or woman of faith believing in God, there was one way. And they had to do it this way, prescribed. They had to worship God this way. For the New Testament believer, there's only one way. Well, you know, I'm not really into Jesus. I like religion. I like like having my dusty old Bible lay around so people think I'm religious. I like to go to the Christmas pageant once a year or or to, to an Easter service. I feel really good when I do that. But none of that stuff is worth anything. It's just religious works. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're putting your faith in His substance, in His complete work, His sacrificial work, His blood shed for remission of your sins. When you put your faith in Christ, you have atonement. You're made You can now have communion. You have access to God. All that stuff comes as a result of coming to the Lord. Jesus said this. I love this statement here. John 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. There's only one way. There's only one door. Over and over in the Bible, we see that. He says, and and once you find me, once you receive that gift that's offered once you believe in me once you come to to me then you can go in and out i love this so you can go in and out and find pasture life is good when you find the lord when you come to christ i am the door if anyone enters by me now notice in verse two real quick the altar had horns the horns on this altar and i think i have a picture do i have a picture of this altar no i didn't get one I think I made one. I forgot to put it in there. It's just really a, actually, I have a picture right here. You can't see it because it's really small. It's it's like this square with these horns on it. You can come up and look at it afterwards. Uh, But it's just a perfect square. It has these horns. The horns were interesting because the horns would have been used, let's say you brought a big animal, not just a goat or a sheep. What if you brought a bull? I mean, you ever watch PBR and those bull riders? How many of you want to get on one of them things? If you brought a bull to be sacrificed for your family because you were rich and you had the ability, you brought a bull, when that bull gets near, he starts smelling blood and stuff and death, he's not going to want to go in there. So you've got to drag him in there. The priest's job is really hard. They dragged, and what did they tie him to? To the horns. They would tie the animal to these horns, they'd, and then they would butcher Also, in the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge. There were places where people could go and they could grab onto the horns in the temple. And the horns represented safety. Uh, In Psalm 118, it gives a reference to the sacrificial animals being bound to the horns. But if you accidentally killed somebody you were you're were out working in your field and and your ox stepped on your your hard working laborers baby that they brought in the field to work and pick for you and the your ox stepped on the baby and killed it well your family's going to want to kill you right so you could run to the city of refuge and grab onto the horns the horns represented that kind of of safety for you and I it's Jesus he's our safety we, we run to the Lord and we grab onto him But again, this altar has significance in all these different areas. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that it's not the blood of bulls or sacrifices that would take place in this altar, but it's the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this altar in the Old Testament really was pointing to Jesus because it was the way for communion. It was the way for worship. It was the way for, for shame to be rid of. For you and I, it's Christ. We come to Jesus, and he forgives us of our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, not only once in a while, but every day. I hope that you're like me, man. I wake up thinking, God, forgive me, a sinner. God, help me to walk by faith today. Help me to be victorious over those things that plague me and that drag me down. God, help me. And then when I get drugged down, I have to come back to the Lord's, God, forgive me for that stupid choice that I made. But we do that over and over and over again. Without the blood, though, there's no forgiveness. Jesus shed his blood so we could have that continual forgiveness. Now, we move from that altar to the court real quick, verse 9. You shall also make a court of the tabernacle for the south side. There shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen. 100 cubits long. So this is a 150 feet by 80 feet. It's, it's another big, that courtyard that goes all the way around. All these verses tell us about the hanging and the sockets and the pillars and all the things that made it movable all the way down through verse 19. The utensils of the tabernacle for all its service and its pegs and the pegs of the court. Everything on the outside was bronze, covered in bronze, wood covered in bronze, Again, speaking of judgment, that's where judgment would take place, out there by the altar. That's where you'd bring your sacrifice out there. So this large rectangular court had a linen fence. Um, That's the tabernacle. So we need to go back to that first picture. I I gave you the wrong picture. Go back to the very first picture we showed because we're talking about that, that. There it is, that fence that goes all the way around. Made out of fabric with pillars and Loops and all those things, this fence. Again, what's the fence for? It's to keep the non-worshipper out. You have to want to come in. You have to bring a sacrifice when you go there. You have to want to see the holy of holies. You want to see God. That's why you're to commune with God. But those that weren't genuine or real, you can't look in here. Very interesting. The the, uh, fence or the linen fence that went all around... Around the tabernacle to keep non-worshippers out and keep them from seeing in there without a commitment. It, it, you have to have commitment. You got to go in there with a sacrifice. Just to be inside the tabernacle courts was a tremendous blessing for the Jew. This is what David writes. I got a couple scriptures real quick. I went through through Psalm 84, verse 10. Psalm 84, there it is. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. We sing that song. Just to be in the courts, just to be around God. And then Psalm 104, or 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful and bless his name. So people would come. They, they wanted to come into that area. So you have the altar of sacrifice, the court, and then finally here, verse 20, The oil. The oil for the light. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. Again, this lamp, there's no other light inside that tent, it's very dark. This is the only light. It's a visible reminder, the presence of God. And another kind of picture of heaven where John tells us in Revelation 22. Here's my last verse here tonight. Again, John is in heaven. He says, in heaven, when we finally get there, there will be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. Just like in the temple, that menorah, that lamp, represented God in his presence. In heaven, there's no sun. There's no light in heaven because God is the light. and He lightens the whole thing. We experience God in that way. So there you go. There's the temple. Next week, we look at the garment of the priest and his work in the next couple of chapters, and we'll do our best to burn through that, too. Let's pray. Father... Thank you for the word.